Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen after suffering, he presented himself alive by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is, the time, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He, he replied, is, is it, it is not the time for you to know the times or periods that the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. In, the, in all of Judea and Samaria, and all the ends of earth. Good morning, everyone. As many of you know, my name is David Bruner. I am uh, the co-pastor here, along with my lovely wife, Becca. I'm so glad to be with you this morning, um, and so glad to be sharing um, a word based on the scripture we just heard um, on Acts 1. As many of you know, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Better Together that's looking at the power of Christian community. And so I want to offer some thoughts based on that passage we just heard. But before I start talking more, let's pray together. Good and gracious God, our Father in heaven, we know that wherever two or three are gathered together in the name of your Son, Jesus, his Spirit is there with them. And so we welcome the Spirit of Christ into this place, trusting that he is here with us. And we ask, Lord, that you would simply help us to take his message to heart today and live it out in our lives. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so what was happening in that passage we just heard? The risen Christ is speaking with his disciples. And he says something to them that functions a little bit like a thesis statement, a guiding introduction for the remainder of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in the book of Acts, this is the very last thing that Jesus says to his disciples. It's the thing that guides their ministry in every chapter of the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses. And if we want to understand a little bit more about what this statement means and how to apply it in our life, we have to take a step back. We have to ask what a witness is. What does it mean to be a witness? What does it mean to be a witness? When Jesus says that, what does he mean? 
So, I don't know if you've noticed, being a witness for Christ is not generally a topic that makes Presbyterians leap out of their seats in enthusiasm. Now, it is true. No topic makes Presbyterians leap out of their seat in enthusiasm. We're not a leaping sort of folk, right? My wife likes to talk about the Presbyterian amen. Do you guys know what the Presbyterian amen is? The Presbyterian amen is when you just go, hmm. Okay? So, I get it. Nevertheless, I feel like being a witness is an especially uh, prickly topic in some ways. It touches on a host of complicated issues. And as many of you know only too well, it's very easy to do wrong. It's very easy to get being a witness for Jesus wrong. If you've ever had a stranger glom onto you in a public place, try to press a tract in your hand or have a stranger corner you somewhere to try and convert you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. True story. Many years ago, before Becca and I met, I went on a first date with a young lady that I was enamored of. This was back when I lived in New York City, and we went to a public park, and we sat down on a bench. It was a beautiful spring day, and this random guy approached us who was there on a mission trip with his church, and he was desperate to try to convert us. He did not succeed. In my case, there was no need for him to succeed, but he did succeed in majorly killing the vibe on my date. There was not another one, and I was very annoyed. Being a witness for Christ is different than that. Being a witness for Christ is different than that. Christian witness, I think, is a little bit like talking with your spouse about money or talking with your kids about the birds and the bees. It's complicated. It can be difficult to do well. And it's too important not to do. It's too important not to do. All the more reason then to pay very close attention to what scripture tells us a witness is. The word in our English Bible that we translate witness is the Greek word marturion. Marturion is where we get the word martyr. And much like the English word witness, the Greek word marturion comes out of a legal context. In the world of law, a witness is someone who knows something and is called to tell the truth about what they know. And in a similar way, the Bible tells us that a witness to Jesus is someone who knows the truth about him and proclaims that truth through words or through actions. Through words or through actions. That means that the, the category of witness is much broader than we sometimes think. In the eyes of Scripture, a preacher proclaiming the gospel is a witness, but so is someone who serves the poor in Jesus' name. Billy Graham was a witness, and so was Martin Luther King. A small group leader can be a witness, but so can a doctor or a nurse or a high school teacher. A Christian witness is anyone who knows the truth about Jesus and expresses that truth through words or deeds. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I find that idea of being a witness, that definition of being a witness, particularly helpful because it clarifies the role we are supposed to play. Think about it. A witness is not a salesperson. Someone who's trying to seal the deal, to move a certain number of units, to, to help sell a product. A witness is not an expert. Someone who might be expected to know the answer to every conceivable question on a given topic. And most importantly, a witness is not a judge. A witness's responsibility is to tell the truth, not to decide about the fate of others. That's the judge's responsibility. And the same is true for we Christians. So we have to do some ground clearing here. Being a witness for Christ is quite different than some of the ideas we might have about it. It simply means telling the truth about Jesus through words or deeds. And then there's another thing. If we really want to understand this passage... It's crucial to grasp that the statement, you will be my witnesses, is not a command. It's not an order. The most famous passage in the Bible about witness and evangelism is probably the so-called Great Commission in Matthew 28. Many of you might be familiar with that. The risen Christ tells his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's a command. It's a commission. This passage from Acts 1 is not a command. Jesus does not say, you have to be my witnesses, or you must be my witnesses, or I order you to be my witnesses. He just says you will be. Much like we might comfort a friend who's going through a tough time by saying, you will be okay. In the same way, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And I think that's a salutary reminder for us in the Christian community. Witness is not intended to be some tedious obligation that we have to engage in. A weighty responsibility that we must discharge. Jesus intends to encourage us by speaking about what the power of God will do through us. And I think that's really good news. When we witness to Jesus Christ, when we witness to Jesus Christ, we open the door to powerful blessings we might miss otherwise. And today I want to talk about some of those blessings. How many blessings do you think I want to talk about? Three, yeah, some of you got it, good. You took a little bit longer than nine o'clock, but you got there. We're going to talk about three blessings. I don't always have three points to my sermon. Sometimes I have two, just for the sake of variety. Uh, but today I do have three. The three points are this. When we witness to Jesus Christ, we experience God's grace. We experience God's power. And we experience God's love. His grace, his power, and his love. I'm going to talk about each of those in the time I have left. So first... To engage in Christian witness means to experience God's grace. To witness to Jesus means a powerful experience of the grace of God that meets and accepts us despite our sins, our flaws, and our limitations. Think about it. 
Jesus tells the disciples that they will be his witnesses. That's quite ironic, given the way the Bible depicts the disciples. If you were here last week, you'll recall that the Bible is quite blunt and straightforward about the limitations of those disciples. They were not in AP discipleship. They were in remedial discipleship. They misunderstand who Jesus was and what he was about. They quarreled with each other about who was the biggest and best. And then when the chips were down, they all abandoned Jesus. These people are now going to be Christ's witnesses and carry his message to the entirety of the world? What? And yet, quite surprisingly, the book of Acts goes on to tell us about the bold and faithful witness of the early church. At first, the disciples witness primarily in Jerusalem. Then they go into the outlying regions of Judea and Samaria, and eventually they, be, they begin the process of reaching out to the whole world with the gospel. By chapter 8, they're in Ethiopia, in Africa. And then in chapter 9, some guy named Paul becomes a Christian. And he begins the process of journeying all over the Mediterranean to plant churches and tell the story about Jesus. Every single one of those disciples had a checkered history. Not one of them was perfect. Peter denied Christ. James and John argued about who was greatest. Paul, of course, persecuted the early church. And yet each of them, each of them was used powerfully by God to witness to him. A witness is not a perfect person. A witness is not someone who's free of doubts or sins or mistakes. A witness is just someone who's willing to take the risk to share what they know about Jesus. No matter our doubts or sins or struggles, we can be used by God. I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for a man named Dale Suderman. I met him when I was in college, and I was very much still struggling with my faith. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And he became a friend and a mentor to me. And he was indispensable in encouraging me to go to seminary, and then in encouraging me to answer my call to ministry. His Christian witness helped make me who I am. And yet, as he would have been the first to admit, he was far from a perfect person. He was a recovering alcoholic, and he'd made a whole mess of mistakes in his life. And yet, God used him in my life to deepen and strengthen my faith. And God can use you in the same way. That's the first point. Second point, being a witness means experiencing God's power. Being a witness means experiencing God's power. It's very important that this passage never speaks of witness as something that Christians do on their own. It's not something they do on their own. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. 
When we witness faithfully to Jesus, we experience the way the Holy Spirit empowers us to do way more than we could ever do on our own. I want you to think again of the early church. By human standards, the church of the first century was not all that promising, okay? Its members were largely illiterate fishermen and manual laborers. They had an unpopular countercultural message about an itinerant Jewish rabbi who had been publicly executed. And uh, uh, the world around them was filled with lavish temples to pagan gods whose worship was way more popular than this Jewish sect. And when Christians did get a measure of popularity, immediately the Roman Empire began persecuting them. If you told me all those things and asked me to place a bet on the future of the Christian church, I would bet that they would be extinct by the 5th century. What was it that made Christianity survive and thrive? It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's still true today. Back when we were in Pennsylvania, Becca and I had the privilege of working with a remarkable congregation located in Cairo, Egypt. Now, believe it or not, there are actually a great many Christians in Egypt. This was a small church called Kolali Church. It's maybe 100 members tops. It was located in a working-class district of Cairo. As many of you know, um, Egypt can be a difficult place to be a Christian. That culture has a far more critical, hostile attitude towards Christianity than our own does. And yet that church has offered a powerful witness to Jesus way out of proportion to its size. Um, in Egypt, they have this discriminatory law that says if you have a church, you can't make its physical footprint any larger than it is. Right? So you can't make the building two feet wider. That's against the law. So the folks at Kolali Church heard this and they said, okay, what we're going to do is make the church taller. Their new church building is like six stories tall. I got to go there in 2020, and I was huffing and puffing going up and down these stairs because the building goes on forever. That building houses not only a church, but a medical clinic and a dental clinic that serves the whole community free of charge. It houses a geriatric home and a youth center. So much goes on there. And if that place disappeared tomorrow, their community would notice how is all that possible? Through hard work and determination and planning, yes, you bet, but not that alone. It was the Holy Spirit's work that made that possible. When we step forward in faith, when we take the risk of witnessing to Jesus in word and deed, we experience the power of the Spirit that helps us do more than we could ever do on our own. That's the second point. Third point. Witnessing to Jesus means we get to experience God's love. Being a witness to Jesus means experiencing God's love. I want you to think for a second about all the problems that are out there. You know about them just as much as I do. We have an epidemic of mass shootings in our country that unfortunately doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. 
Our young people are increasingly afflicted by anxiety, by depression, other mental health problems. Right here in America, the richest country in the world, 17% of our kids live in poverty. What is a witness to Jesus Christ supposed to say about things like that? To be a witness to Jesus is to tell the truth about a love that is stronger than the evil and brokenness in the world around us. It means telling the truth about a love that was so strong it went all the way to the cross. It means telling the truth about a love strong enough to defeat the power of poverty, strong enough to overcome the power of violence, strong enough to heal the power of depression and despair. It means coming alongside those who seem like they have no hope at all and no one in the world that cares about them and sharing this simple but stunning truth. There is a God that loves you. It means declaring that just as God brought life out of death for Jesus, he can bring life out of death for them too. That's what it means to witness. It means experiencing more and more of the love of God by giving more and more of it away to people in need. I want to close with this story. Many years ago, um, I worked as a chaplain at a behavioral health center in New Jersey. Um, it was a place where people went who were struggling with mental illness and also in recovery from drug and alcohol addiction. And one day I was walking around, I met this young man, and he told me his story. He'd grown up in a really affluent community, came from a good family, and he got mixed up with drugs. And he, he, he got addicted to drugs, and he could not get off, try as, his, try as he might. And one night, in the middle of the night, he went out to, to buy some drugs. And the place where he went to buy his drugs was a pretty rough neighborhood. You do the math, right? Guy in a strange neighborhood, rough neighborhood, wandering around in the middle of the night looking to buy drugs. What happens? He gets robbed. Well, a gang of guys fell on him and they beat the stuffing out of him. They took his money, they took his drugs, and they left him literally lying in a gutter. I mean, he was just lying in the street outside for several hours. And he's just lying there, kind of drifting in and out of consciousness. He can't really get up. And finally, the sun comes up. And it just so happens it's a Sunday morning. And who's up early <laughs> walking around on a Sunday morning? Church people. And there's a gang of Christian people walking together on their way to church. And they see this guy lying in the gutter. And like the Good Samaritan in the Gospel of Luke, they stop. And they come over to him and they say, sir, are you all right? And he looked at them, the young man told me. He looked at them and said, I am a drug addict. Interestingly, he didn't say, I just got beaten up or I got robbed. He went right to the root of the problem, right? And said, I'm a drug addict. And so, of course, they called an ambulance. Of course, they helped him stand. They called the police. They made sure he was taken care of. And then one of those people, God bless him or her, said, Sir, may we pray for you? And he said, Yes. 
And when he told me this story, I said, how did that make you feel when they prayed for you? And he was quiet for a minute. And then he said, you know, my whole life, I'd always been an atheist. Never believed in God. But when they laid hands for me and prayed for me, I started to believe in God. And when I think about that story, that was 15 years ago he told me that story. When I think about that story, I get excited. It makes me happy. It makes me feel like the Bears just beat the Packers, okay? I get charged up. I don't know about you, I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that does that sort of stuff. And I think other people want to be part of a church like that too. People of God, don't be afraid to be a witness because it's the most powerful thing you might ever do. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.